0: Hey, Delian. The uh, mute button's on the right. Cool. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? I can I can absolutely hear you. Um, just uh, thanks for joining me. You know, just to add to the comedy of the moment, just so everyone realizes um, we're actually in the exact same office and we could be in the same office in the same conference room. But for the sake of feedback, we're actually on opposite points of the same <laughs> founder's of the office in Miami, because otherwise <laughs> it wouldn't work. But... Um, here we are for a very impromptu, I should have scheduled this earlier, but I have to say the tech week that Delian put together has been so wild that, um, that I, I didn't do it. But here we are in an impromptu session with Founders Fund in Miami in this spectacular office you have right here in Wynwood. Um, I posted a photo. There's a bunch of construction in the back. This place is so happening that it, you, know, you don't need a cup of coffee in the morning. You just walk out and you feel the, you feel the bolt. Um, so thanks for joining Delian. How, how, by the way, how long has Founders Fund been here?
1: Um, So we just moved into this office about a month ago, and then we technically announced that we were going to open up an office in Miami now about a year and a half ago. So it took a little while to, uh, we literally, you know, sort of started with a, um, you know, full net new, you know, construction. So it took some time, you know, to get it built. Um, But, you know, it's funny, you know, I think uh, the the cranes to me are such a, like, symbolic representation of, like, you know, what Miami is, i.e., like, actually pro-growth, pro-capitalism, pro-technology. Like, I always think that, like... People have this like, you know, presupposed assumption that like, you know, tech was predestined to forever, you know, be in San Francisco in the Bay Area. But in some ways it was not even necessarily, you know, in the tech you know, started in the Bay Area pre like the you know, mid 70s. Uh, and it only really sort of, you know, circumstantially ended up there. And in some ways, I've always felt that, like, there was a sort of, you know, discontinuity between, you know, the sort of fundamental values, you know, of tech, which are pro-growth, pro-capitalism, pro-immigration, versus I would actually argue the Bay Area is, like, you know, very actively, you know, anti-tech, very actively anti-growth in the form of, like, not being willing to build buildings. And I'd say the sort of, you know, um, the uh, unintended consequence of being, you know, anti-building also actually in some ways makes you, like, anti-immigrant, right? You know, fundamentally, to me, nimbyism is the, like, you know, penultimate, You know, sort of anti, you know, immigrant mentality, much more so than like you know, trying to ban you know H one B's. And so, you know, to me, the crane is in some ways like you know the 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 symbol of you know Miami being pro growth, and I think is what you know makes it so much more likely to actually be a natural home for
0: technology because the values of Miami so perfectly align with the values of technology. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a second, right? Because as someone who grew up here when Miami was very, very different, by the way, Wynwood used to be not a destination, (laughs) to put it politely. Um, You know, it's funny, you you mentioned the the San Francisco Silicon Valley thing, and it's true, right? If you look at the history of Silicon Valley, up until the 50s, there was apple orchards where much of what we now call Silicon Valley, and and even San Francisco, which people tend to treat synonymously with Silicon Valley, but it's it's not at all, just so everyone realizes those who aren't from the area, San Francisco is not actually in either the geographic notion of what is Silicon Valley. And it really only became, I mean, consider when Mark Zuckerberg left Harvard in the mid-aughts, he, he didn't even spend time in San Francisco. He went straight to Palo Alto because that, that was the, the center of gravity. It was only in the sort of late aughts and then late teens where like, you know, Twitter, Airbnb, Moreau, whatever, started moving to the city. But historically San Francisco, is not it's not become synonymous tech with tech, but it, it wasn't that even like 10 years ago. And so these things can change, right? And the question I get a lot, Delian, maybe you can address this, right, is again, it's not surprising Miami should become like a business hub. its It's like the Singapore slash Dubai of Latin America and has been for 10, 15 years. Like, that's not surprising. It's just the sort of addressable market has now increased a little bit. But, you know, the question I do get, and and I myself have some doubts, is like the builder culture. And it's funny because you you yourself have done a startup and it's not some, you know, NFT software thing, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's actually putting shit into space. It's the most serious deep tech there is. I'm I'm curious what you think about the builder culture in Miami and whether it can happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think... uh, this is unlike any, you know, technology ecosystem that's ever been, you know, started in the past. You know, typically these things have been built, you know, over the course of, you know, a decade and have been been able to benefit from some level of, like, you know, drafting. So, you know, off of, you know, pre-existing, let's say, ecosystem. So let's take, you know, San Francisco, maybe being obviously the most, you know, recent super successful example. San Francisco in 2010 was like the weird place that basically only Jack Dorsey and Travis Kalanick were like building, you know, their companies. There wasn't, you know, anybody else that was, you know, super serious up there. Everybody else was effectively, you know, in Palo Alto in San Francisco was kind of seen as the, you know, place where the sort of weirdos, people at the true frontier, were, you know, building their companies, not where, like, you know, the core of technology was, you know, Sand Hill Road, Menlo Park, you know, Palo Alto. And so I do think there are some, you know, analogies to what's happening, you know, in Miami, in that it's the place where a bunch of the weirdos are building their companies, right? You know, Open Store being here, you know, amongst others, and Keith being, you know, sort of the weirdo that is, you know, leading the charge. But I think unlike, you know, San Francisco, you don't have the ability to draft off of, like, a very close by top tier university, a very close by pre existing tech ecosystem. Right, a lot of these companies were basically like recruiting from Palo Alto engineers, and it's not that difficult to you know convince somebody to you know move thirty forty five minutes north. Versus across the country. And so I think there are some things where Miami has a more difficult start. I, you know, there's not the sort of Stanford, Harvard, you know, Berkeley, et cetera, top tier university to pull from. And it's not like there's anywhere, you know, close by to easily import from, right? It's not like Orlando, Tampa, et cetera. The closest you have is up in Cape Canaveral. Obviously, there's a decent amount of space engineers. But that's like a solid three and a half, four hours north. You know, it's almost, you know, effectively in a different state. On the flip side, the advantages that I would say, like you know, Miami has relative to these other ecosystems, is one, it got started at a time where people were so much more geographically mobile than they've ever been. Right, the idea of actually picking up and moving your whole life was, you know, relatively difficult and rare and not possible in technology. versus now, with the combination of just like there being so many more tech hubs, remote work being much more of a thing, even if I don't necessarily believe in it as much, um, there's just much more, you know, mobility. As well as you've never seen this amount of capital suddenly move to a place at a single time. Now, will the capital eventually lead to a builder ecosystem that's quite deep here being built up, that is like a fair thesis that can be, you know, debated and, you know, say, hell, you know, my wife and I debated it this week of, you know, whether or not, you know, the Bay Area was, you know, talent or capital first, obviously, as the capitalist, I'd probably argue that it was the capital that, you know, made the Bay Area the Bay Area. And she obviously would argue that it was the, you know, sort of weirdo, you know, internet culture, homebrew, you know, computing in universities that made it, you know, what it is. And so I think that is kind of the grand experiment. I wouldn't claim that Miami has the, like, you know, strongest builder culture. Now, but I also think that, like you know, twenty-three to twenty-six-year-old ambitious builders are choosing to practically move here because there is such a you know sort of arbitrage of you know in the Bay Area as a twenty-five-year-old it was pretty hard to get on you know or you know Keiths or you know Peter's calendar versus if you're an ambitious twenty-five-year-old getting on our calendars
0: in Miami, especially if you're actually here in person and building in person, much much easier. Right, right, right. I can see that. Um, you know, the, the thing about the university things everyone always brings that up, and it's you know I don't know how much I buy it. I mean, on the one hand. I was made conscious of tech when I went to Berkeley for grad school. I was not from the tech world of the Bay Area at all, and so like, you know, sliding down that tech funnel is obviously a little bit easier coming from there. Although to be clear, actually, I went to New York first and then eventually came back. Um, but you know, you look at there's a lot of places that have great universities, though. Right? Like Boston has amazing universities, and and as a biotech hub, I think it's obviously still very big, but you know if you just look at the number of venture deals it obviously pales compared to you know both new york and, and san francisco right and they, and they have amazing universities harvard mit the list goes on and on right and so i, I don't know and, and something else i was talking to somebody i was pitching a crypto thing recently and somebody i think they were in portugal they're like you know silicon valley isn't a place anymore it's like a state of mind which sounds like the most woo hippie thing ever <laughs> but it, it's actually it's actually true it, it, it it's a way of doing business and a way of thinking and it really doesn't matter whether you're in lisbon or miami or san francisco so I can sort of buy that argument. The other thing I would say is that – sorry, go ahead, Dylan.
1: I was going to say, I do think, though, like, as much as, like, Silicon Valley is, like, a mentality in the cloud, like, I still think that there is just true benefits of that in-person network effect, right? Like, I actually think your, you know, tweet, you know, on this, whether it's, you know, done, you know, as a, you know, hungover joke or whether it's, you know, truly, you know, trying to draw this, you know, prescient analogy. But actually do think, like, the fact that you got recognized in the street – you know, um, you know here, uh, you know in Panther is actually indicative of these types of spontaneous interactions that are possible only when there is a certain level of in-person network density that actually has a significant effect on the technology ecosystem. Like if you look at just like the stories of like the early like Twitter days, Square days, Uber days, there's so much of like the financing rounds, the early recruiting, how co-founders stumbled into one another that truly happened with these like in-person interactions. And I would say like Miami Tech Week last year was already somewhat a proof point of this. Of like literally, I know of north of a hundred million dollars of venture financing rounds that came together largely due to the fact that it, uh, there was in-person spontaneous interactions that were unplanned that happened during Miami Tech Week. And so as much as there is this like, mentality of it being the cloud, I do think there's actually significant benefits to these like, in-person, you know, sort of dense you know, network effects. And so I agree that, like, I think the, like, you know, sort of university critique is not necessarily accurate, Given then, yeah, you have Boston, hell, you know, Ithaca, New York definitely has no startups, Urbana Champaign has no interesting startups, despite the fact that, like, you know, Max Levchin on down, obviously, you know, uh, you know, were born and, you know, raised and went to university there. But I do think what's important that Miami hasn't yet proven is, like, what percentage of the like super ambitious, you know, call it top ten percent of UIUC, Waterloo, MIT, Harvard, Stanford, etc., computer science, you know, mechanical engineering, et cetera, grads are practically choosing to basically start their careers in Miami. And I think that's one area where it's still, you know, uh, more difficult to take on that risk as somebody that's really early on in your career, Um, given that you don't yet have a prototype of, you know, somebody that you can, you know, look at and say, hey, that person is 35 and super successful. And they started their career in Miami, right? All the people that are here are basically like, you know, mid-career moved over. There's only a very, very small handful of sort of, you know, fresh grads and it's not clear what their long-term career prospects look like. And so I think that's the thing that like, you know, gets a little bit easier if you have a local university ecosystem system that was super strong and that it's a lot easier to just like, you know, if you go to Stanford, just stick around in the Bay area, even before the Bay area was proven out. And so that's one thing that I think we'll need to start to shift is, you know, the probably easiest KPI to track there is like, you know, what percentage of Berkeley grads end up, you know, choosing to, you know, you know graduate and directly move to Miami. I think it's, you know, artificially depressed today relative to the opportunity, partially because of this, you know, perception or pattern matching that, you know, sort of fresh grads
0: don't have, you know, somebody to, you know, look up to that has made that decision in the past. Yeah, I mean, you have to make it such that, like, when the young ambitious driver tells her parents, hey, hey, mom, I took this job in Miami, it doesn't sound like a joke, right? Like, that's I think that's one of the adoption hurdles that you're going to face in this Miami thing. But the, the other thing I would say is that, although, again, deep tech might be, seems like it's an odd matching with Miami, I think finance and DeFi and crypto is actually not such a strange mapping at all. Um I'll, I'll remind everyone that the biggest arena here where one of the main sports teams plays is called FTX Arena after the stage. Um, and, and, you know, Suarez makes this joke. He's so good at memeing, right, which is how this whole thing started. But, um, you know, the capital of capital. And Miami's kind of been that for a long time for Latin America. Right? So again, it's not really such a stretch. It just needs to extend to this new generation of sort of DeFi and crypto than than the sort of old world of, you know, offshoring wealth or whatever for Latin American wealthy people, which is what it's been in the past.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a very natural home. You know, the analogy that I've been starting to use is like, you know, Miami Tech Week is the, you know, equivalent of, you know, sort of Sand Hill Road or like, you know, Y Combinator, you know, demo days where, you know, these types of, you know, events used to exist all the time in the Bay Area, right? People used to, you know, come together and, you know, meet, you know, at Y Combinator demo days. And like, yes, it was, you know, to invest in the YC companies, but it was also just as a way of like all the top tier funds getting into a single like physical room and, you know, just trading notes, discussing deals, even, you know, beyond just the early stage companies that they were actively assessing, you know, at YC. And there hasn't really been an alternative for that since COVID has hit. And I actually think that it has, like, reduced some of the, you know, organic spontaneity within the VC ecosystem that I think Miami Tech Week now acts as an alternative for. Because, you know, all those VCs that used to only live in the Bay Area, yes, yeah, some of them are still for sure there. But at this point, they have spread to, you know, others living remotely, like Montana or Colorado, or to New York, Austin, LA, etc. cetera. And Miami can just, like, sort of act as this, you know, natural shelling point of, hey, it is already kind of this, like, capital of capital, all of some of the wealthiest, you know, family offices have funds, et cetera, are already here, and so if one were to think about, well, where would I sort of create an in-person, you know, quote-unquote VC conference, um, you know, Miami does feel like a, you know, natural fit for that, and so it becomes this natural, you know, use case, and then also by default, if there's anything that is, you know, more financially related, right, whether it's DeFi, whether it's crypto, financial services, et cetera, this is a great sort of ecosystem, you know, to pull from, given that it already has that, you know, type of, you know, talent and backing, and yeah, deep tech will take a little bit longer, you know, having a really strong mechanical engineering, you know, culture, or, you you know, sort of call it broader space culture. Like we seriously debated where to put the Varda, you know, office when we were starting the company. Um, and Miami was on the list, but it was one of those things where we just looked at the various talent densities and it was clear that, you know, Los Angeles still, you know, basically has a stranglehold uh, on aerospace talent, far more so than like the Bay Area ever did on like enterprise SaaS talent. Um, and so it sort of felt like a no brainer, but, you know, one of the first steps will be eventually Varda is going to be launching often enough that we're going to be, you know, uh, you know, launching from the Cape on some regular basis. And we're definitely going to put a mission operations office. And like previously, pre-Miami, we would have just been like up on the Cape or in Jacksonville. Um, but obviously now we'll be, you know, basing it in Miami and just driving up to the Cape whenever necessary.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've asked myself the same question everyone else has, which is like, is work from home lasting? Are people going back to offices or why? In a world in which people are in the hybrid model of like mostly work from home, but then um, like my girlfriend has a venture backed startup and it's totally remote. All that matters is the time zone you're on. Actually location doesn't matter. Um, there's startups that will do all the offshore payment and all that crap for you um and then just they have like a quarterly offsite in which everyone gets together in the same place for a week and you know jams and sets the priorities for the for the quarter and then goes back to their respective places and everyone loves it and in that case like you said miami is an effective shelling point and it's like well it's much better connected than san francisco actually is right um to much of the world whether it be latin america or europe and uh like who who wouldn't want to go spend you know a week in miami on the Corporate Dime and hang around. (laughs) Wouldn't do that, right? Um, I mean, I I think, I just realized, I think this is my third time here in three months and I'll I'll be here next week for a calacanesis thing. It's this bizarre thing that somehow once, every one to two months, I'm always back here. Yeah, no, it's
1: definitely, I think part of what it helps with like, you know, Miami as well is you know, relative to other ecosystems, it also by default has such a seasonal culture that it helps make what would have previously maybe not been quite as dense of a tech community and like tech events calendar by default much more dense because you're sort of all compressed into the call it like, you know, December through early, you know, May timeframe. And so it makes it feel sort of, you know, artificially, you know, more dense than it actually is. It's not, you know, all all spread out throughout the year. And yeah, I definitely resonate, you know, I think, I think one of the decision points that are, you know, decision criteria, let's say, for Founders Fund when deciding whether or not to open the office here was just proximity to where we believe the next generation of entrepreneurs is generally going to be. And I think it's just no longer the case that, like, if you study our portfolio, even pre-COVID, it was already clearly starting to shift out of the Bay Area. And then especially so post-COVID at this point, you know, between LATAM, Europe, New York, you know, Midwest, United States... It was clear that the sort of geographic center, you know, if you were to like average it out by dollars deployed, the closest city probably in some ways to that, you know, true geographic center was probably actually Miami, given how far east, you know, Europe pulls you and how far, you know, south and east Latin America pulls you. And so it's actually, you know, interesting to see that, you know, relative to the Bay Area, I have far more, you know, in-person, you know, sort of investor meetings, in-person, you know, founder meetings and in-person, you know, board meetings, you know, here in our Miami office than, you know, I did in the Bay Area even
0: Pre-COVID, yeah, you know, it's funny. I used to be like a Pacific Time Zone absolutist chauvinist. Like everything should just be Pacific Time Zone. Just like Beijing time is time in China, no matter where you are. And now it's like, man, it's super inconvenient for India and Israel, actually, it's like impossible to basically do a call with anything like east of, you know, call it Ukraine, for example, to pick a random example. Um, yeah, so it's just a lot more central of the city than San Francisco ever was. Um, so, well, but, yeah,
1: especially what, since, you know, we don't believe in being a China fund, unlike, you know, some of the other, you know, major funds in Silicon Valley, <laughs> um, there's, you know, default not actually that much that we're interested in investing in. It's like, you know, west of PST. And so in some ways, the, you know, PST is kind of the western edge, uh, and you know, it stretches all the way to Ukraine. And so that, you know, roughly central time zone probably laying somewhere in the Atlantic and see how, you know, Miami's about as close as we can get to being in the Atlantic.
0: <laughs> Man, is, is that cantankerous spirit, like part of the key thing, or just this Founders Fund pick for people who are always going to let in that jab to unnamed VC funds who invest heavily in China?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, for me, I admit that, um, you know, I wasn't as, you know, passionate, you know, I, I not that i had zero passionate about the topic, but I can't claim that I was nearly as passionate as some of my colleagues until starting Varda. And then as a part of Varda, you know, we started to really work with the, you know, defense community quite heavily, now have a relatively large Air Force program. Um, and I was at um, the Hill Air Force Base uh, in northern Utah uh, about a month and a half, you know, two months ago, um, giving a presentation on some of the general to the generals that we were working with about what we were working on, a little bit about, you know, founders fund, etc., cetera. Um, and they explicitly called out, you know, of venture firms. They're like, so do you have these few venture firms like on your cap table? Uh, and I was like, no, yeah. Well, I'm curious. Like, you know, why do you ask? And you're like, okay, good. Like, cause those are China funds. And so we don't want to work with them. Uh, and so was one of those moments where I was like, oh man. Okay. Like this issue that, like you know, clearly, some of my colleagues have brought up as an issue is, like clearly, you know, quite pertinent and you know relevant to you know literally how these you know Air Force Generals are thinking about you know national security. And then I think you know the combination of that plus reading you know Jacob Helberg's book made me you know a little bit you know more of a fanatic. Plus, it's also one of those things that just feels so ultimately you know I don't typically love to you know talk about you know competitors, given that you know I'd argue that sort of venture capital is the ultimate like undifferentiated asset, and so the only thing you can differentiate by is your brand. And so you know critiquing you know competitors almost always just comes off as like, oh, my brand isn't strong enough. But on this particular issue, it feels sort of morally indefensible um, to, you know, be investing in a near-peer adversary that is, you know, committing, you know, genocide, um, you know, supporting, you know, dictators, um, et cetera, on down. Uh, And so, you know, I I, I enjoy, uh, you know, poking on this, you know, issue given (laughs) uh,
2: how
0: difficult it is for them to defend themselves. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a big, happy global economy until the bullets start flying, and then you have to kind of pick a side. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. People just don't recognize that
1: the bullets are, you know, already uh, effectively flying. Oh, I,
0: oh I'm i well aware, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole separate yeah. story. Um, interesting, so, I mean, looking at your office, and again, that hopefully the photo I tweeted gives, well, I mean, that's the view over the city, obviously, but the, your office is obviously quite, quite. this is not like a little satellite office, WeWork thing, right? It's a quite built-out office. So what fraction, like, how many part? I mean, if you care to share, like, how many partners are here, how much of the business is Miami versus or versus Silicon Valley, etc. cetera? Uh, yeah, of course. So we have a, uh, I believe, roughly 12-person uh, investment
1: team. Uh, there are four of us that are based here uh, in the Miami office. So it's uh, uh, Keith, uh, Raboy, Peter Thiel, uh, myself, and then Matthias uh, Van Tienen, uh, so about four of us. Um, that basically leaves eight on uh, the rest of the team, basically one effectively uh, in uh, the Los Angeles area, um, and then leaves roughly another seven or, or so in the Bay Area, though, Uh, of those seven in the Bay Area, I believe at least two are confirmed already moving to the East Coast and likely a third, and that third likely also, you know, landing in Miami, so... While we are not yet the you know majority of you know Founders Fund, I think you know very soon it will be the case that the you know majority of Founders Fund will be you know in Miami, and you know at least on the you know early stage side, you know the Miami office is definitely the most the most active in terms of investing, given that this is where a lot of the you know early stage you know deal flow is actually
0: originating from. Yeah, so what, what stage of the sort of startup trajectory are you mostly, is it mostly seed in Series A or what is there a, a trend yet in terms of your Miami deals? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'd say Founders Fund as a whole is like extremely multi-stage, right? Like we do everything from like, you know, leading like 750K, like, you know, tiny pre-seed rounds all the way through you know, five hundred million dollar like Series F round. Um, I'd say the you know predisposition in the Miami office is definitely much more early stage, but I think that entirely has to do with like the members of the team that are here. Uh, we do have you know one growth stage you know partner that is here, Matias, uh, who does actually largely focus on Latin America, uh, but still only relatively recently moved here. And I don't think since moving has uh, made an investment. So, uh, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you know over time you will start to do uh, some more you know sort of late stage uh, LATAM. Uh, but it's been great because we you know because we best, you know, typically such early stage, it makes it so that we can actually like utilize uh, the, you know, sort of the spare, you know, office space to actually, you know, have portfolio companies work out of. So I think at this point we had like four different like portfolio companies that we like funded when they were only like two people. They used the Miami Founders Fund office as like their initial office, scaled up, got large enough where they could no longer, uh, you know, operate out of here, had to get their own offices and then rinse and repeated, and got a, you know, sort of next generation company. Um, And it's been great because, you know, I'm sure you've seen a little bit on Twitter, but there's been some amount of like... Uh, I don't know, balking from the, like, say, like, pre-existing old guard Miami, you know, tech community um, about, you know, how we've, you know, come in and made it a thing or, you know, not given enough, I don't know, respect to the pre-existing old guard. But it's great because, like, we can just entirely ignore it and we just fund more interesting companies than they do, uh, you know, run more interesting conferences than they do and just, you know, make you know, Miami successful and just ignore the, uh, ignore the
0: critiques. Uh, and <laughs> it's played out pretty damn well. Uh, we're basically the biggest Miami funder at this point. Okay, so, I, you know, I want to jump into these online pissing matches, but I've already got enough sort of, uh, you know, buzzing chainsaws to juggle there. But I will comment just as a, as a meta comment on it. Well, it's probably considered to be taking a side on it. But, you know, it's so odd to me to see that in like the Miami sphere, because if it, it, Miami is about anything, it's about like literally the last dude who got off the boat, like often the literal boat <laughs> saying, okay, we're doing this now, right, and making a go of it. And I remember I was, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, I was like a little kid in the 80s, you know, Miami was very different than it is now. And I still remember seeing bumper stickers that said like, can the last American to leave Miami please bring down the flag or whatever, right? Cause you know, Florida used to be pretty pretty white bread, Anglo, whatever, right? And then suddenly there was this, people don't have to realize like my, my parents' exiles came through Miami and Freedom Tower and that whole immigration experience. There's like a whole Ellis Island situation here that most Americans don't realize. It came through Miami, but most Cubans actually didn't settle in Miami. There wasn't that much in Miami, such that you would restart your career, is only in the 70s and 80s. In fact, my parents moved to Miami after I was born, so I would be raised in a sort of Cuban environment, and it was only after the 70s and 80s that it actually became kind of the even vaguely Latin American, Hispanic city, and that's when you saw kind of like whatever was there before kind of exit, and you know, they kind of bitched and moan, and what's the Spanish business, and then, of course, since then, it's only accelerated, right? Like in the 90s, and then the and the odds, you know, the Argentinian currency crisis happened, and suddenly the Argentinian steakhouses, or, you know, Chavez is basically destroying Venezuela from the ground up, and suddenly you have a neighborhood called Westinzuela. So it's called Weston, but then there's so many Venezuelans there, the joke is it's called Westinzuela. And in fact, like three out of the past three Uber drivers were all Venezuelans who are, have been permanently relocated to Venezuela. And you can walk by and you can get a Cafe Huayoyo, which is a Venezuelan style coffee or an arepa in the morning, right? So like, it's just odd to me that there would be any sort of nimbyism I got first in like literally the city where <laughs> what is the norm is like changing every day um and it just you know it's and like and, and also just as a purely pragmatic matter who would bitch and moan about founders fund showing up to your city right it's like obviously you want this enormous vc bat to show up to,
1: but anyway. yeah i know it's hilarious thankfully it's like such a minority here because yeah i think the default culture is so like pro-immigration pro emb you know pro uh, pro growth that um it's a you know very very small minority and thankfully it acts as like a perfect like you know filter uh, you know, for okay, here are exactly the types of people that found founders fund should be entirely ignoring. You know, sort of when engaging, uh, you know, with the local community. And I'd say there's a much larger contingent that is just you know less vocal. You know, on Twitter, um, that is very, very you know pro. Uh, you know, moving here and have been phenomenal. Uh, you know,
0: phenomenal to work with. Yeah, I mean, dude, this this wave is big. Like, I, I think people probably noticed in the photo, the big swooping photo that um, I posted on Twitter. You can see all these cranes behind us, and I think the photo doesn't quite do it justice. I mean, it literally is like this. Forest of cranes behind us and the constant sound of construction noise. I, I spoke to a real estate broker recently. Keith is going to chuckle at this. Um, and, you know, she she was just commenting because, of course, they know everything that's being built. Right. And apparently they're like they're smaller units for like, you know, people starting their careers. Not it's actually not luxury, super high expensive stuff. It's actually meant to be kind of more affordable because you want to retain the, you know, the the cross spectrum of society, wealthy, not so wealthy, people older, younger, whatever, like you want the whole picture. And so they're actually building to do that. And it's just, you know, it's almost like Miami could be the photo to like, it's a time to build P-Market, essay right? And then, like, you look around everywhere and there's cranes and there's just, there's no, there's no bashfulness about it, right? There, it's while well, in San Francisco, it would be like this whole deal to, to even make that happen. It's just, it's, it's a very different vibe. It's, you have to sort of be here to experience it
1: yeah no it's just it's, it's unabashed like it's great talking to some of the developers that are building like
0: a handful of buildings nearby and they're like yeah no i
1: specifically want 27 year old like single you know engineers designers product managers that are working at tech companies and just like want you know uh, uh you know an apartment that is like you know very close to their office and i want to also you know build some office space for those you know same companies and there's no like there's no pushback. There's no, if anything, like, right, like, the, like, you know, local community is, like, extremely enthusiastically, like, you know, supporting the local regulations or allowing these people to build. And, like, it is intentionally, like, we are literally building buildings for the sake of technology, like, you know, workers moving here and living here and spending here. And, like, if you said those words in, like, New York, they will say, fuck you, Amazon, and get the hell out of here. And if you say them, you know, in San Francisco, um, you know, Hugo Chavez himself, you know, will, you know, show up at your, you know, front door and, you know, I think try and murder you. And so uh, it is amazing to be in an ecosystem where you can sort of be unabashedly sort of pro-building, pro-capitalism, pro-growth. Like it is funny starting to feel like I used to have just like, I guess like underlying like filter that would also cause me a decent amount of like mental stress um, when I lived in the Bay Area. that, like, as you start to live here for longer and longer, it just, like, slowly melts away. I and mean, then sometimes, like, I have to, like, sometimes like reintroduce it when I'm, like, talking to some, like, you know, Bay Area Liptard, and I'm like, oh, crap, I can't quite use the same, you know, uh, you know language and talk quite the same way. Uh, but it is amazing to, you know, sort of feel that, you know, both stress and filter melt away. Where in, like, Miami, you can talk freely about any topic, because no matter what, like, political, business, like, you know, social, economic issue is, it's going to be 50-50 on almost everything, like whether it's pro-abortion, anti-abortion, pro-immigration, anti-immigration. You can find everybody, and you can find any combination of them. And so, anytime that you're out to dinner, you can't ever be particularly intolerant about one per- any particular topic because you have no idea where like the people at the dinner are going to land. Um, and so, because of that, you can actually like much more freely you know talk about your opinions. Like I remember in San Francisco, sometimes people would like very shyly talk about like the fact that they were like a little more right-wing or Republican, etc. Versus like in you know Miami parties, there's just like yeah, complete unabashed. Like if the person chooses to signal it they feel no fear, you know, for, you know, signaling, you know, here are actually, you know, my true views. Um, and I'm, you know,
0: totally open to arguing or discussing them. And it's just, uh, it's like so refreshing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that feeling too. Everything's just a lot more relaxed here while also being more energetic. And, you know, it's one of those things, I mean, it, I know like Florida in particular in the sort of conventional blue state mind has this sort of total red quality to it. And certainly in the rural areas, that's maybe true, but Miami's actually, in actual fact, more purplish, right? It's, it's actually not Hard one way or the other, it's just not completely blue <laughs> like San Francisco is, right? And so that means there actual is there actually is like a spirit of bipartisanship whereby it's like, well, you can't you can't cancel each other. it's it's half of Miami. What are you gonna do, <laughs> right? And so people are just way more tolerant than they would be otherwise.
1: Yeah, no, I I love it. Like actually the neighborhood that i I specifically like live in, like, you know, uh in the like latest election was like yeah, I think it was like seventy five or eighty percent like you know Biden. And then if you go like three blocks over, it's like a hundred percent flipped. Um and so it literally like you know block by block like shifts between like, you know, purple, blue, purple, you know, red, um, you know, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, it, it's, it's funny, like, sometimes going back to San Francisco can be like, almost like sh- a shock to the system of the combination of like, one, just like the filter that you have to introduce and language that you use two like, you always hear about, you know, these sort of like libtards in the Bay Area talking about like, you know, diversity, you walk around the streets of like, you know, the marina or like, you know, downtown in Selma. And it is like, as whitewashed as you can possibly like find in the you know entire world. And yet these are the people that are, you know, preaching diversity. And then three, obviously, the ideologies, you know, completely being non-diverse. And so i just love that miami both is like diverse in terms of like backgrounds ideologies skin colors like you know races and like doesn't that's not the thing that people talk about when they talk about miami right you don't have people here that are like virtue signaling about you know diversity on any sort of consistent basis um it's just it's amazing to be in a place that's truly diverse
0: yeah i know i mean it's it's funny how it's yeah it's it's so obviously hypocritical it's almost cliche, cliche to say but you go to like the whitest parts is SF, and it's like the BLM signs have the highest density, right? It's just it's the most ridiculous thing. And it's so virtue signaling, and it's so stupid, and it's so like widely progressive. And you come here, and there's literally like a babble of language. So, yesterday, it's Passover, right? So, it's but it's not like the the weekend big meals, it's like the in between. I was at a Jewish event yesterday, Orthodox Jews in Miami Beach, and uh, you know, full a lot of them were like full Hasidic and the whole thing, but even they spread, you know, spoke French, Spanish. I mean, it was just. You know, that event wouldn't exist in San Francisco. And then you go out and then you have, you know, whatever, a Venezuelan uh, Uber driver, you go for a late night Cuban sandwich, whatever. Like it's, it's real diversity. It really is like a true bizarre city where everybody from all over the world is passing through and there's that kind of port city vibe of like permissiveness. It's, It's just, it's a completely different feeling than San Francisco. The
1: other thing that I feel like people underappreciate is like how um, different it is to live in a city that is not an industry city. So like the example that I always like to provide is like, you know, I spent a decent amount of time in Los Angeles. That's where a lot of aerospace is. But like Los Angeles is truly an industry city, right? It is, you know, uh, media and entertainment. And so if you don't work in media and entertainment, you're like by default a second class citizen. And so there are times where I get invited into like, you know, parties and like the Hollywood Hills, et cetera. And just like, you know, there will be the like, you know, let's say equivalent levels of like success or seniority or whatever you want to call it. In the media and entertainment industry relative to where I am in like you know, technology, and they won't even like engage or even like fucking make eye contact with me because like they're just like, you know, they're like this guy is a nothing. He's like what well, some tech dude in yeah, you know, right. so therefore, you know, sort of second class citizen. And technology in some ways does the same thing in the Bay Area, right? Like, you know, if you're somebody who works in like art, music, or hospitality, okay. good fucking luck getting invites to any of like the top tier you know, technology parties. But the interesting thing is like Miami isn't really an industry city. Like there's not one particular industry that right. like dominates the city. And so it makes it so that like the when you have these parties that are multi industry, Right, I've been at parties where it's like real estate mogul, like you know Grammy-winning you know musician, minus list you know investor, unicorn founder, and like you know uh, you know governor in a room, and there's like some level of just like default, like you know respect amongst one another and willingness to engage in a way that you just don't see in some of these cities that sort of create this kind of, like, I don't know, power dynamic between, like, one industry is elevated and everybody else is not. And it's one of the things that I really love about Miami is that it makes it so that, like, it's just so much more easy to engage sort of, you know, across, you know, across various industries. And so I feel like because of that, I've actually built up a decent network of people that are quite top tier in real estate, in hospitality, in politics, you know, in art, um, that just was not possible in any other city, you know, that I've lived in, um, even if those cities had some level of local, you know, art, you know, real estate, you know hospitality community uh because there was sort of that you know power dynamic
0: yeah i mean it's a lot less of an elitist city i mean it's still like a hustle city but people are betting on like where you're going and not where you're from kind of vibe to it which i at least my memory which obviously is selective But my early days in Silicon Valley, things were kind of more like that. Again, I I cited the example between like Panther Coffee, which for those who don't know what it is, it's like this third wave coffee place like right here. It's like we could throw a rock from the balcony and like hit Panther Coffee basically. But it reminds me of like the creamery in SoMa, which might even have been before your day, Delian. But it was like the hustle meat place. And like I walk in there and see the founders of Airbnb, a VC from Sequoia, and then, you know some random construction dude getting like a breakfast sandwich in the morning or some shit. And it's just like, huh, it was just kind of this interesting like star Wars cantina slash, I don't know what. And you get that vibe here. That that vibe doesn't exist in San Francisco anymore. And you're getting that vibe here more, which is, is fascinating to see.
1: Yeah, no, I love I love the like you know Panther coffee down here, like especially during the weeks like this, whether it's like you know, Bitcoin week or Miami Tech Week, and you like walk outside and like you know, it's like it's across the street from the founder's office, founder's fund office, and it was already the kind of like central location for technology even before we moved here, and then obviously our office being across the street, like only further accelerated it. But now it's been every single morning this week when I'm like, you know, walking in a little, you know, uh, you know, tired and you know, a little dehydrated from the night before, and like you know, nine thirty in the morning I'm like, Oh my god, there's like the you know, ramp CEO, there's like the signal fire GP, they're like you know, pitching what It's just like, it's amazing to kind of feel that equivalent of like, yeah, creamery was before my time, but heard great things. But at least, you know, in my days, the, you know, sort of blue bottle in South Park was, you know, maybe the closest that, you know, I'd ever experienced to it, you know, before. And yeah, it's just like, there's, there's something about that energy that just makes it so obvious to me, like, you know, my more, you know, radical, let's say, you know, prediction or belief is that I actually think, you know, within this decade, there will be a year where there are more unicorns minted in Miami than there are in the, you know, Bay Area. Uh, and I think it's just because when you see this type of just like, again, energetic, ambitious, weirdo, you know, capital is there, you know, it, you know, culture. Um, I think that is the sort of spontaneous elements that are necessary
0: for you know, creating uh, the next generation of, you know, truly ambitious companies. Yeah, well, I mean, the unicorns take, a you know, it takes, you have to, you know, it takes 10 years to make an overnight success. So it's going to take a while to see these unicorns. But, um, you know, um, Delian, if, you know, if you don't mind, I, I suspect this is a conversation and given Tech Week people might want to have lots of ask questions. And so I, I see a lot of people are actually listening on web, which is, for those who don't know, when you go down to the UI and you see everybody else listening, there's like a plus X others, those people are listening on web. But just as, a, as, a, as an FYI, if you want to ask a question, you got to go to the app and download the app um, and come up as a caller. And so um, I'll, we'll take some questions because I'm guessing people do have questions about this Miami thing. And I see Mateo's in the queue, so I'm, I'm bringing up Mateo.
2: So what what would you guys think of the uh, idea that maybe the kind of ultra FOMO tech world moving on from the Bay Area in SF to a degree might be the best thing that could ever happen to the Bay Area?
1: Uh, uh, in that you believe that it like somehow it removes the people from the Bay Area that were making it successful, but somehow sets it up for the future. I guess, yeah, I'm not, you know, is the implication there that like, um, you know, somehow, you know, this actually sets up San Francisco better for the future, like, That seems quite unlikely given, you know, the city has been drained of 20% of its population. Uh, The, you know, rate of new company formation has, you know, gone down quite significantly. Crime has gone up quite significantly. Quality of life has decreased. Like, I have a hard time seeing how San Francisco declining is somehow good for the Bay Area. Like, to be clear, I, I love San Francisco. I think it's a phenomenal city. I really wish that it had adapted to, you know, the, the growth and the technology ecosystem. I lived there for a decade it's near and dear to my heart. And it was like where my entire, you know, sort of career in some ways was built. Um, But I I have a hard time seeing how, you know, sort of any of what is happening um, is, you know, good, good for the Bay area.
2: Well, you see, that's, that's the thing about rejection is a healthy ego. When it's rejected, doesn't want to process it. It wants to reframe it.
0: Maybe. I mean, I, I think I, you know, I, I, Double down on what Delian said is like again, I've been in and around the barrier for 20 years and it, it's it's amazing in many ways, like nature and all the rest of it. Like it, it could be the it could be one of the of America or the world's great cities if it had been managed well, right? It, it had literally <laughs> the highest growth, most impactful industry base there, and it kind of dropped the ball on it, and for a bunch of reasons that are probably worth going into here and are obvious anyhow. Um, and it's just it's such a shame because I'm anchored there. I have family there that I can't. I can't not be there for. You're so there I'm for ten years.
2: Get your anchored there. You were anchored over ten years.
0: That's not well. Much of an I, well it's more in like, my case. It's more like twenty. And yeah, there's a kid living there, so I'm I'm anchored there. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, kids can you have children.
0: Through. Well, yeah, it's, it's a longer conversation.
2: <laughs> um, here's a here. So here's here's one last thought. I would you know I I wonder is like we're seeing kind of like Miami as kind of tropified into like a scene that maybe doesn't have. Much to do with the entirety of the Miami date experience, do you worry that when you uh, when you use the term San Francisco for the entirety of the Bay Area, when you take like a city that is only nine hundred thousand Um, of that 900,000, about half of that is ethnic Chinese and not really in the same world as the more techish Anglo half. So you're really only talking about 400,000 people and the number three city by demographics in the entire Bay Area. So is it kind of dumb to like conflate the whole kind of excess poop and syringe scene at sixth and market with like the entirety of like what Palo Alto, yeah. oh, and yeah, Cupertino, yeah, yeah. and Saratoga, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, on the whole are.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that I I hinted that at that earlier, and ho- hopefully I was clear in it because I I agree that's that's a common misconception, particularly the Well, it just it feeds
2: into it feeds into this the kind of dumb Fox News thinking that like loved to create this Cuomo versus DeSantis rivalry two years ago that had nothing to do with reality. This Florida versus New York thing that only existed in kind of New York media's mind. And I think the same thing happens in terms of turning, uh, you know, selling Murdoch narratives to people and fly over where it's meaningful to talk about San Francisco as being the Bay Area when the real Bay Area is like Fremont, Sunnyvale, you know, San Jose. No, I, I agree.
0: I, I I I don't watch a lot of Fox News myself, to be honest. So I can't speak to how much that that narrative is being is being sold. But I, I agree. And just as an FYI to most people, because again, I, I think we probably got a lot of Miami or non SF people on in the call. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So again, like I said earlier, Silicon Valley is not San Francisco, right? Like like you go to Woodside and Palo Alto, Manlo Park are still perfectly nice, charming places to live.
2: Right?
0: It is it is not some of what you see. And, and
2: to no, clear, they're the perfectly nice, charming places to live because right? it's a pain in the ass for a homeless person to get there. But
0: yeah. Well, I, okay, I, 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 okay, but, but, and, and to be clear, and even San Francisco isn't itself a harsh. I, if they're showing, you know, images of certain streets of San Francisco and claiming the entire city is like that, that's that's not true either, right? There's there's definitely parts of San Francisco that are very charming and very nice, right? And so, yeah, I, I would disagree with any sort of characterization that like, oh, SF is this this topic nightmare, from like top to bottom. It's 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 absolutely not. Um, so, um, but again, you know, I don't think this is a zero sum pie, right? Like to succeed you know for Miami to succeed SF doesn't have to fail right we can hopefully ideally San Francisco I think I tweeted a thing yesterday that was surprisingly viral it's like can you know Miami get a builder culture faster than SF can have sane city government like that's the race and ideally both win right and that SF has sane city government and Miami develops a tech ecosystem and everyone gets wealthier and healthier and that's that's right that's but the ideal
2: of I'm course the way course. the way this is usually framed in, in public discourse is Ron DeSantis is the messiah and everybody with a good tech idea is running screaming from California to uh, either Austin or Miami where in Florida, a new tech paradise uh, that will bring together the Italian mob and Silicon Valley into a, uh, a new wonderful uh, flying car situation.
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. I look, I mean, I, it's easy to get caught up in the, the media's narratives. I think whether it be Ukraine or Miami, the best way is to actually come visit, which I would encourage everyone to do, but let me make some more time for more, more questions, matteo, So I'm going to, uh, I don't people please come up and and ask questions. I can swear Delian does not bite um nor do I, and we'd be happy to answer any questions about i don't know investment tech v c miami you name it um let's see we have neels who came up let's see oh where's sorry fat fingered there we go Neil, I think I should have promoted you to there you
1: go yeah, Niels, Niels. so yes. I wanted to ask to Delian uh how is going on with Varda? Uh, what's the progress, and uh, uh, how uh, does he see the the progress with uh, Starship and, and like uh, to carry the the factories? Yeah, um, so I'd say you know largely on track. Um, you know, with uh, you know sort of what we you know, announced previously publicly. Uh, you know, making our first launch actually you know here from uh, you know uh, Florida at the you know Cape Canaveral uh, in Q1 of next year. So a little less than uh, a year from today, uh, plan on, you know, sort of landing the materials, uh, from that factory, uh, out in, uh, the Utah desert, test and, test and training range, uh, about a month and a half after that. So it'll, you know, land in likely, uh, you know, mid May, you know, early June. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited with, you know, how that's going. We're about, you know, 55 people, uh, largely, you know, engineers, um, uh, and, you know, often, often to the races, um, and then you know in in relation to starship um, very obviously you know part part of the you know sort of fundamental you know trend that Varda was predicated on uh, was that you know this sort of you know input cost um, i launch cost was only going to continue to you know dramatically drop Falcon nine becoming you know sort of more and more reusable, being you know one layer of that, but then obviously starship coming online um, i'd say I'm, you know, I, I'm not as, you know, in tune with the, you know, sort of Starship engineering progress relative to some of my colleagues who, you know, used to, you know, be quite, you know, senior on, you know, Starship. Uh, but, you know, the general sentiment that I get is... Um, I think that you know Elon is generally accurate on the timelines to you know making sort of the first you know orbital test. i.e., you know very possible this year, but that there will almost certainly be a decent number you know of kinks to work out. And so getting to sort of regular operational flight probably is not you know you know correct on his timelines. I you know regular operational flights you know he's saying you know mid to late next year. It'll probably be more like you know another sort of year or two after that. So probably more like late 24 or you know mid 25 is when, you know, Starship really becomes something that, you know, a company like Varda, you know, can bank on. Because, you know, as much as I would love to start designing, you know, factories that are more designed for Starship's, you know, launch costs and payload bays, et cetera, you know, I can't really start to rely on something like that until it actually, you know, starts to fly. I need to start building my business, you know, this year, not, you know, hypothetically two and a half, three years from now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, super exciting times, you know, in aerospace, I really hope that, you know, one of the longer term goals is that, you know, I can start to help influence, uh, you know, building up a, you know, Miami aerospace scene versus it really only being up on the coast, uh, you know, farther North in Miami. Uh, but, you know, that'll definitely be, you know, sort of long-term project and probably, you know, first step of that will be opening the, uh, you know, Miami, uh, VARTA office, which, um, I think will happen in, um, you know, no earlier than a year, um, but, you know, no later than call it, you know, two, two and a half years
0: from today. Right. Cool. Well, th- thanks, Niels. Um, I swear this is not a show question, but it's a show question. Delian, is
1: is Varda hiring Delian? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we have a uh, list of uh, open roles uh, on our website, uh, Um You know, feel free you know, to apply through there. And I generally say, you know, the types of uh, roles that we're hiring for um, are largely, you know, what I'd call just like, you know, standard called spacecraft engineering roles. So everything from, you know, C++ embedded software engineers uh, to, you know, thermal structures, mechanical, you know, analysis. Um, some level of non-technical, you know, hires, but, you know, not, not, not too many. Maybe the most, you know, recent one that we started to pick up is uh, starting to get some, you know, interest from life sciences, uh, you know, customers, and so am looking for uh, sort of life sciences, uh, you know, BDE type hire. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, hopefully, you know, somebody in the audience is uh, interested in, uh, you know, helping us build the world's first, you know, industrial park in orbit.
0: Yeah, your basic aerospace hire, Delian. It's amazing. I mean, I'd love to work on some, something like hardware, but I know nothing about hardware, so I'd, I'd much rather turn like data and eyeballs into money. It's, it seems like a, a far easier task. Than <laughs> creating um, spacecraft warehouses. Um, let's see. Any other um, any other questions for Delian or Founders Fund or, or the Miami ecosystem? We're happy to, to, to designate ourselves spokespeople for. for my um, let's see. We have Matt, who has an interesting avatar.
2: Okay, you are on, Matt. Hi, thanks for doing this. What advice would you give to like a technical new graduate
0: wanting to build a career in technology in Miami?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know it somewhat is you know related to the general advice that I give to you know you know fresh grads, which is I think the you know fastest way to accelerate a career is join you know a super you know early stage you know high growth startup. I think the you know easiest way to filter for you know given that there are a wide variety of early stage startups in Miami is to you know sort of you know, admit that maybe as a you know fresh grad, it's maybe difficult to, you know, assess, you know, sort of which you know startups have the highest potential. And so you know maybe export that analysis, you know, to you know investors. And so I would be filtering, you know, based off of you know the you know company and their and their cap table. And so there's a variety of investors that are, you know, building and starting companies, you know, here in Miami, you know, Founders Fund, Atomic, Valor Equity Partners has, you know, moved here, D1. And so what I would be doing is if I were a technical new grad, going through the portfolio pages of the various, you know, investors that are here in Miami, you know, looking at their, you know, portfolio companies that are here in Miami and basically asking those investors, you know, for introductions or just, you know, really writing a, you know, sort of custom note direct to the CEO about what you're excited about, what they're working on. And would generally aim for, um, you know, sort of, probably, you know, as a technical, you know, fresh grad, probably post-series A is probably, you know, the rough, you know, stage that I do. And part of the reason being that there's just, you know, obviously high risk that comes to joining a startup, but the upside can be so, so high, especially if you join something, you know, sort of super high growth. It just makes it so that rather than at a, you know, large company like whether it's a Lockheed or a Google or something like that, it's a little bit more zero-sum. So the only way to get senior is to, you know, take away responsibility from others versus, you know, with high-growth startups, they sort of, you know, by default increasing responsibilities day by day and not enough time to, you know, hire enough people and so the you know it leads to you know a ton of opportunities for somebody like a fresh grad like the perfect example is my little brother you know Pavel actually worked for a company that has you know Miami office and is you know planning on making his way you know down here from New York joined this company ramp when they were about 25 people as one of their you know sort of early engineering hires post series a now at this point he's a you know senior tech lead you know manages you know eight engineers I believe you know works on one of the fastest growing you know products that he effectively you know built from Scratch with you know a few other engineers and a PM, um, and you know he's only you know whatever twenty you know one years old right now, and so um, you know great place you know to be
0: at twenty one, and only possible when you join something that's so high growth. Cool, thanks for that piece of career advice. We have to, I think maybe time for one more question. We got to go. We're coming up on an hour, and I want to take too much time of uh, Delian's time. So, uh, Jake, Thank you. let me uh, sure. Thanks, Matt. Jake, you're on. Take The mute button's on the lower right if you're looking
2: for it. Hey, hey, was in
0: Miami investing in a
1: premier medical research institu- institution, one that doesn't exist there now? Yeah, no, I think it's something that's being, you know, actively thought about, you know, there's this, you know, as a parallel, let's say, you know, to this, this, you know, tech charter, you know, school that's being, you know, put together and funded by a lot of these sort of top tier, you know, GPs that are moving here. And there's definitely, you know, some pretty proactive discussions about, you know, sort of what are the other, you know, sort of fundamental research institutions that, you know, should be founded or created here, or, you know, how do you lean into some of the pre-existing institutions and make them, you know, sort of even higher quality and even higher class. I'd argue, actually that in the world of, you know, sort of healthcare and life sciences, that's actually maybe the area where Miami was actually, you know, quite, you know, quite strong. You Miami, the health system here definitely has, you know, a couple of different areas where, you know, they're they're pushing the fold, you know, a little bit more maybe on the operational side than like the research side. But I think, you know, very possible to, you know, create a research institution that, you know, sort of is partnered with, you know, similar to, let's say, like the Broad Institute with MIT, where, you know, basically is co-located and, you know, Uh, you know, co-branded, I think um, something like that almost certainly is going to get, you know, built uh, in the next handful of years uh, with just the amount of, you know, capital that has moved here and is interested in pushing the fold on this. So, uh, yeah, no, I definitely definitely think there's something like that to
0: come. That'd be an interesting model, Dalian, because, like, it's kind of in the midst of time, but back in the day, like, you used to see, like, oh... Penn Wharton in San Francisco or in the Bay Area. Right. And they'd have this like weird little satellite university thing where I imagine they flew out their MBA candidates for a semester or something. And they kind of had this like, you know, an embassy, so to speak. And so it'd be interesting to see that if that actually started happening and MIT and Stanford, that would definitely be a tipping point, I think, or about the sign of validation of of Miami actually taking off to have like a Stanford-Miami thing in Wynwood, like on the next floor down from, from you in this building. Yeah, no, I think I think I'd somewhat argue that it was like, you know, the seed stage of Miami
1: was, you know, call it, you know, May 2020 to December 2020, right? Jack Abraham, Keith moving here, et cetera. Uh, you know, I'd argue that like the, you know, Series A was maybe like, you know, the tweet, Series B was probably like the you know first Tech Week, and then now we have some serious work to you know cross like Series C stage. Maybe it's a combination of you know Tech Week becoming bigger and bigger, and then actually starting to invest into some of these you know in-person institutes programs, whether it's the you know local high school you know tech charter schools, you know improving U Miami's you know computer science program, and starting these types of research institutes. I feel pretty confident that you know we'll we'll get to that point, but in some ways, obviously you know we're only now fortuitous you know discussing such ambitious projects only because. Um, you know,
0: we've succeeded in getting the, you know, sort of ecosystem from, you know, uh, C through B. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you, Dalian. I, I know we're hitting up an hour and um, you're very busy because, um, like, I look at my calendar and it looks like a map of, like, the Syrian civil war. It's just this it's just this <laughs> disaster of colored squares in all directions. There's so many events going on, um, many of which one can't really attend, but thanks for putting this on, Dalian. And it's still, like, we're still up and to the right, right? The main event, um, other tickets have long been sold out is on Friday at the Faina, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Friday at the Faina is the main event. Um, you know, for those folks that weren't able to, uh, you know, get tickets, we are going to um, uh, have live streams of all of the, uh, you know, panels. Uh, and the after party is going to be announced, you know, shortly. Um, that actually has more capacity than the, you know, FiNA So I definitely encourage folks to, uh, you know, spend the time and check it out. And, um, yeah, it was really great to chat. You know, Antonio, it's always fun, uh, you know, talking about talking about Miami.
0: Yeah. Do check out the live streams. Um, unlike most tech conferences, you actually have an interesting set of speakers. <laughs> I actually plan on going. It's funny. I always do that thing where I get invited to, or whatever. I go to conferences and then I, go to, I don't go to a single event and I just hang out in the bar with whoever's there. That's not going to happen in this case. I'm actually going to go to the conference. Online. Yeah. yeah we, uh, I think we I'm put together got some, some good speakers. panels. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you, Dalian, and thanks everyone for joining. Um, as usual, uh, a shareable link will go out later today once I've edited and cleaned up my, bum- my bumbling at the beginning. Um, but thanks, thanks for tuning in.